Good morning. I want to give you a, a warm greeting from our pastor. I had a few opportunities this week uh, to talk to Greg. And just know most of our conversation is me listening to how much he misses us and misses our church and sends his deep love to the staff and to all of you. And he's doing well. He's keeping plenty busy. In fact, he's done. He was preaching this morning uh, at a church on the south side of Chicago. So from Pastor Greg, hello, and I love you. Um, and you might notice that uh, Chris Waybright, Pastor Greg's wife, was singing this morning and has been. And some of you know Chris. Uh, we only put Greg on sabbatical, not Chris. So she has work, and she's coming and going during this time. So don't be alarmed if you see her around town. It really is Chris Waybright. Um, so we're thankful that she's even here and walking with us during the series as well. Well, this week I've thought of one, one story in particular to, to start the sermon, and it was when I was 17 years old, my youth pastor, I was at a church in Ventura, was, was commuting to Fuller to get his master's degree. And he would come to Fuller for these one-week intensives where he would um, you know, go to school from 8 in the morning till 5 at night and, and get a whole quarter's worth of school done in a week. And, and one day when he came back from the intensive during my senior year of high school, he called my mom on the phone and said, uh, Jeff is not going to school tomorrow. He's going to come to Fuller with me uh, to sit in one of these classes. And my mom and my youth pastor had a great relationship, and she trusted him. So I came. I came to Fuller when I was 17 years old, sat in a class for eight hours. And I couldn't figure out why he wanted me there. But on the way down, he started to tell me, this is a class about prayer. This is a, a class about spiritual warfare. And he is, to this day, a triathlete, a distance runner, and all of my memories of him are after a race or before a race or even training for a race. Where's Dave? He's at the chiropractor. He's getting adjusted. He had all these issues. And what had happened to him the day before in class, just as the class was being taught, the professor, who used to be part of this congregation, Peter Wagner, I just mentioned that there's some people here with some back problems, and you should come over and receive prayer. And Dave, my youth pastor, went forward. And as he received prayer, literally he talks about feeling his back change and his leg straighten in a certain way. And it was so moving to him and so healing for him. To this day, he's never been back to the chiropractor. And, and, and he called my mom and said, Jeff's got to come and, and see this. So I went to class and I sat for eight hours and I watched with great confusion and beauty at what was happening because this happened the next day when I was there. Where in the middle of teaching, some kind of leading would happen where a couple people would come forward and receive a prayer of healing or blessing. And it looked nothing like what I have seen these prayers be like on television. Nobody was smacking anybody's forehead. Nobody was falling to the ground. There was no offering afterwards. And I'll just be honest with you, it was very confusing for me. Watching how mellow this was and, and why God was choosing to answer these particular prayers and thinking about, even in my 17 years of life, the prayers that we had been praying for people in our church or in our community, and those didn't necessarily come with answers, but for some reason God was moving in powerful ways. And there was some mystery to how all this worked. And the more that I think about that day and how informative it was in my life, it was one of the first times where I had to wrestle with the fact that, that part of following Jesus is not having all the answers all the time. That there's mystery involved. That there's beauty. And there's things that just happen that, that aren't necessarily explainable. I mean, I think about not just that day in that class, but I think about us in this congregation. Some of us, our lives have been, have been marked 
It feels like our whole life there's been nothing but, but suffering and, and rejection. And yet some of us, or from our perspective, we look at other people, and why are, why are they minus that level of suffering? Why does it always happen to me? Why do some people seem like their life is all about abundance and blessing? There are just parts of our faith that are a mystery. Not everything is explainable and clean. And this morning we are going to start in Article 1, and it's about the Trinity, and and the Trinity is full of this kind of mystery. It's loaded with mystery. How do we often respond to mysterious things, especially when they're uh, spiritually mysterious? You know that Trinity, if you read the Scriptures, you'll never find the word in the Bible, Trinity. It's not in there. And yet... We believe that our God is three in one, and we proclaim it, we sing it, we study it. Oftentimes, I think when we, how we respond to mysterious things, especially the Trinity, is some of us reject it entirely as something we can't understand. And it just kind of stays there. I can't really understand that one, so I'm going I'm to believe it, but I'm not going to really try to get much deeper with it. Some of us pretend that we understand it, when we, and the truth is we don't. So we, we, we proclaim it, we sing it, but if the truth was told, we really don't understand how this three-in-one God works. Some of us hear it, we try to understand it, but then we give up and we decide that it's one of those mysteries that we'll never understand. And then we know that it's part of our faith, but we never allow it to really impact us or to, to speak to us about what it would mean for our life. Or some of us, we pick apart mystery until it loses its beauty and we kill the beauty of it. This morning, Pastor Annie and I want to suggest that we ought to respond to the mystery of the Trinity with awe and with wonder. That we stand in awe of a God who can be three in one at the same time, And that we will live this adventure of allowing the Trinity to inform who we are, who God is, and how we're called to live in his world. I love this quote that we found where it says, uh, mystery is like a cliff. We may not be able to scale it, but we can stand at the foot of it, touch it, praise its beauty. So it is with the mystery of the Trinity. The Trinity is like a cliff. We may not be able to scale it, but we can stand at the foot of it and touch it, praise its beauty. Oftentimes when we talk about the Trinity, especially those of us who've been around church a long time, there's these these images that we've used. We, We talk about an egg, right? So in an egg, there's the shell, and there's the white, and there's the yolk, and so there's three different parts of the egg, and but it's really one, and and that's like the Trinity. Or sometimes we talk about ice and steam and water and it's you know three different distinct things but one substance and or some of us talk about a clover a three-leaf clover that's one thing with three different parts and all of those fail in really understanding the beauty of the trinity because whether it's ice whether it's a clover or whether it's an egg none of those things talk about relationship or talk about love. And the foundation of the Trinity is love. In fact, our statement of faith, Article 1, we proclaimed it earlier today, speaks when it says, infinitely perfect and eternally existing in a unity of love in three equally divine persons. 
existing in a unity of love between three equally divine persons. Unity of love in three equally divine persons. Let's look at this foundation of love. It's why we chose 1 John today. There's a lot of scriptures we could have chosen that talks about God's love. In fact, last week we talked about it in John 3.16. But in 1 John, and what you heard read is when when the writer says, And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Friends, this isn't some abstract or impersonal thing we say about God. It's deeply personal because it begins with three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit loving each other in unity. This is where some of the mystery comes for me. I'll admit to you, when we talk about and sing about God as a loving God, I often think about Father God. In fact, John 3.16 last week, For God so loved the world that He sent His Son... I have heard it preached and read in the scripture so many times that God is a loving father that when I hear about the the love that God has, I really camp out on just one of the persons of the Trinity. And sometimes I can reflect and get to a place where I understand that Jesus loves us and Jesus sent his son to die, uh, Jesus died the death that we should live. And so I wrap my mind around Jesus and love, but it's not so often I think about the Holy Spirit as a lover the Holy Spirit as the love of God. Because there's some mystery to understanding this idea of three in one. The Trinity is the foundational doctrine for us to be able to understand that God is loving. And it's why Article 1 is Article 1. That God has existed as the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is who God is. He is the love that exists between the three persons of the Trinity. He has been this kind of love from eternity past, before anything was created, before you and I were created, before mankind was made. This is God's character. It is central to who God is. And when we think about God and love, it is the loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, from our statement of faith, a unity of love in three equally divine persons. Friends, this morning... Before we jump into understanding more about the Trinity, we must understand that the foundation of the Trinity is one of love. So, if the foundation of the Trinity is love, what is a concrete way of understanding that? What's an analogy that does work? If the egg and the ice and the the clover don't really work, don't capture that idea of love, what is an analogy that does? Knowing that no analogy is going to capture the fullness of the mystery of Trinity. What's an analogy, what is an analogy that helps us out a little bit? And we want to propose today that the idea of a dance actually gets a little bit closer at being able to rest in that mystery, but also be able to understand Trinity. But before we unpack that, I want to tell you a story. If you read the devotionals this week, this will sound familiar to you. So my dad is musically challenged. He can't really carry a tune. Um, He has a really hard time staying on beat, and he cannot dance. So I got married about a year and a half ago, and the father-daughter dance was really important to me. When I was 10 years old, I went to my cousin's wedding, and as a daddy's little girl, I remember looking at my cousin, dancing with her father, 
thinking, how am I ever, I just couldn't imagine ever saying goodbye to my father and flying into the arms of some young man. So during the whole song of The Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler, this little 10-year-old girl was bawling. Eventually, I did fly into the arms of some young man sitting on the front row up here, and we got married. Um, But the father-daughter dance was still something that was really important to me. At the same time, my expectations were kind of low. I figured my dad would come to the stage. We would do that like awkwardly hug and shuffle around your feet a little bit, have great conversation. Um, But in the end, the the dance wasn't going to be that great. So imagine my surprise when on the night of my wedding, my dad comes confidently to the dance floor, boldly takes me into his arms and leads me into this perfect dance to Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. My dad learned how to dance. Yeah, yeah, Mike McLaren, way to go. My dad learned how to dance. He learned the steps. He took the time and the energy to focus and to stay on beat. And my little girl dreams of having the perfect father-daughter dance came true that night. But most importantly, I felt so loved by my dad that evening. The Trinity can be seen as a divine dance. Now, what does that mean? If you look at a couple dancing, if they're doing it really well, they are moving so seamlessly and so in tune with each other that it's as if they're moving as one. Now, there's two separate people there, right? There's two separate people, but they're giving to one another and they're leading and they're being led that if you look at them, it seems like they are gliding across the dance floor. Now, imagine a three-person Dance. Again, this isn't a perfect analogy, but I think it captures the essence of our God. Just like in a dance, there is mutuality, right? There's that give and take, there's relationship, and there's unity. In that same way, in the Trinity, there's relationship, there's mutuality, and there is unity. The theological word that captures this reality is a, word, is a Greek word called perichoresis. And that means, that means mutual indwelling. What that's getting at is this idea that there are three persons of the Trinity who are so close to one another that it is as if they actually live inside of each other, that they mutually indwell one another. And this is why Jesus says in the book of John that he says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father, which would be really abstract language. But what that's getting at is saying we are so close to one another that it's as if we actually live inside of each other. And that's true of all three persons of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity are sharing with one, with one another, giving to one another, receiving from one another. One of my favorite theologians says that they're so close that when one cries, the other tastes salt. And this is why we can say that God is love, because God's inner life, God's inner life, the life that only exists within God himself before any of us came into play, is one of love. God's internal reality is one in which Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are loving each other in this divine dance. And church family, this is where the really good news comes into play. This is where the gospel is such good news. Here's why it matters, because we are invited to participate in the divine dance. We who have trouble keeping up with God, right? We will have trouble keeping in rhythm with God, keeping that rhythm of, of Sabbath, keeping that rhythm of being daily in God's Word, keeping up with that rhythm of, of attuning with God in prayer. We who cannot keep up with God are invited to keep up with God 
in the divine dance. We are invited to participate in the love that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are always delighting each, in each other. They are always enjoying, enjoying each other. They are always celebrating each other. And we are invited into that celebration. It's a little bit like becoming part of a family. So when Josh and I were planning our wedding, we did the thing that all newlyweds do, and we talked about our hopes and dreams. What are you most excited about for our marriage? And Josh said many sweet things, but the thing that stuck out to me the most was that he was so excited for me to become part of his family. Now, in order to understand Josh, you have to understand a little bit of his family. Josh's family is big. They are loving. We go on these family reunions where there are 50 people just on his dad's side, and they all love Jesus. And throughout the year, we have prayer partners. The whole family, you have a prayer partner. Um, there's family newsletters. When we go on the, on the family reunions, we do devotionals in the morning. There's worship. We play youth group games. This is like a whole big loving thing. And the thing that Josh was most excited about, about marrying me, was bringing me into that family. Being a Newfeld doesn't just mean that I get Josh, who is a gift in and of himself. It means that I get to be part of a whole family who has been loving each other for generations. I get to become part of a whole family who is utterly and completely in love with each other. And that love just seamlessly draws me in. You guys, that is the gospel. It's the good news that we get to participate in the divine dance, in the love that exists, exists, that has existed from eternity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We who mess up all the time, right? We who are so broken. We who have to confess the same sins over and over and over to God, hoping that next week I won't be selfish or I won't be greedy. God has invited us into the divine dance. Through the Holy Spirit, we are included and we get to participate in the relationship that Jesus has with his heavenly Father. Now imagine that. Think about the things that Jesus says in the book of John about his relationship to the Father. He says that they are one. He says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says that he only does what his Father has told him to do. He only says what his Father has told him to say. Can you imagine having that kind of intimacy? Can you imagine that kind of intimacy? And yet the theology of the Trinity tells us that we get to participate in the intimacy between the Father and the Son. And you guys, that is our salvation. There's, there's something, there's a theme here between the idea of participation and observation. I think so often uh, we're observing God. And it, it's like if this divine dance is going on, that the role we think we play is to go watch and see uh, what's happening over there. And that's true, but then to never jump in the dance and participate. And so as Annie and I thought about this week, how does this change the way we live out our faith? How does an understanding of this divine dance that you and I are invited to not just only observe, but to participate in, how does that show up? How would our lives and our faith look very different? We want to suggest in four ways. One, it reframes the way we understand prayer. I think oftentimes as a, as a pastor, I'll be in a social situation where if there's time for prayer for the meal or something like that, you just you hand it over to us, the professional, right? And it's usually followed with, thank you for praying, I'm not very good at prayer. Uh, friends, 
that is not a good understanding of prayer. Being good at something or not being good at something. The reality is that Jesus is already in prayer for us. We can read that in Romans. And when we join the dance, when we enter into God, we participate with Jesus in what he's already doing, what he's already praying. And so because of that, there's no such thing as praying well. Because Jesus takes our prayers, joins them with his, cleanses them, and offers them to the Father. We don't have to try harder. We don't have to read the dictionary for the right words. This isn't about us doing more work. This is about us entering into what's already happening, joining the prayer that Jesus is already praying. Now, to pray, maybe we need more quiet, more listening. I think that's probably the real challenge for us with prayer. It's not that we don't have the words, it's that we don't have the space to listen and to hear and to observe what's happening. The real challenge to a prayer life is getting into a place of of quiet, getting into a place of listening so that we can hear what the dance is so that we can jump in and join. Do you ever feel like this with prayer? Do you ever feel guilty when you say something like this? Hey, I've been praying for you, and you really haven't been? I've never done that myself. I've just heard that that happens. Right? Oftentimes we say that. Right? We, we see one another and we say, I've been praying for you and, you and you really haven't been. And if you're like me, in those moments, sometimes we can feel guilt and shame. Right? Last week we talked about what, the gift of freedom, the gift of Jesus eliminates guilt and shame from, our, from ourselves. That's, those aren't feelings of God. So what, what, what should we feel when we say something like, I've been praying for you, but we really haven't been? What we should feel is a sense of loss. We, we should feel that, um, oh my God, I had this opportunity to join with, the, with God, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, I missed an opportunity to join on what's going on in your life with them and the intimacy that I could have had joining the prayers that are already being prayed for that situation or that person. Friends, when we understand the divine dance, we understand the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit inviting us into that, we, we don't feel guilt and shame, we, we feel loss, and there's a major difference. It doesn't just reframe the way we understand prayer, it reframes the way we understand worship. I think so often, right, we talk about worship as the way we sing or the songs that we sing, and worship is so much more than that. But let's just talk about the idea of singing or coming to a worship service Oftentimes, I think if you're like me or like those that I listen to, there's times where we walk away going, I really didn't connect with worship today. Or or those songs, those weren't really my songs, and I I didn't really connect to those. As if the idea of worship is something that starts with us. Like when we come into this room that... It's, it's, it's just a wrong kind of thinking to think that worship will begin whether I, if I do it or not. Friends, worship is happening all the time, 24-7. There's a worship, there's a song, there's a dance going on all the time. And the question isn't, am I going to enter, the question is, am I going to enter into what's already being worshipped? To the song that's already being sung. It's happening whether we acknowledge it or not, and our, our opportunity is to join in what's already happening. When I first moved to Pasadena, it was one of the first times I walked around the Rose Bowl, and I saw a softball game going on. And I love softball. 
And I wanted to just stop and watch it for a little bit. And I, so I sat down on the, uh, near it. And I wasn't there but a couple of minutes. And somebody ran up to me from the, from the game and said, would you like to play? And so they had a, a glove and I grabbed it and I got to play. See, the game was already going on. I had an opportunity. Am I going to join in what's already happening? Or am I going to sit on the sidelines and observe? That's the challenge with worship. Are we going to recognize that there's already something going on and we're going to choose to join? Are we going to sit on the sideline and not join? It reframes prayer, it reframes worship, but it also reframes our understanding of mission. And we've been talking a lot about mission lately. The idea that each one of us have been sent by God to do his will and his work in this world. And that for those of us who follow Jesus, it's not just for a few people to go live out the great commandment, but that each one of us have been called to live out the great commandment. To bring beauty and justice and goodness and healing and peace and love to a world that needs it. That's all of our job. And just like with prayer and with worship, sometimes I feel like I wake up and I go, am I going to do mission or not today? Am I going to live missionally or not? Friends, the reality is that Jesus is at work in this world. He's doing his Father's will. The Spirit is reminding us of what Jesus said in the Scripture and what he's saying right now. The Holy Spirit guides us to the work that is already happening. Our job is to keep our eyes open and to join Christ in what he is doing. We are invited into the dance. Where is God dancing around you and you just need to jump in with him? A couple of weeks ago, we started elementary school for the first time with our youngest. You know that. It was a, it was a crazy week because we, we moved, Greg left, and we started school. And the second week of school, I was dropping off our son at school and realizing that my engagement with the school, although it had only been a week, uh, was a little different than what I anticipated. Because I was tired. I was just dropping him off and getting in my car. I wasn't talking to anybody. I didn't really interact with his teacher much. I was just dropping him off. So I got into my car, and I was struck by that that something needed to change, but I was, I was exhausted. So I pulled out my phone where I write some prayer requests, and, and it, I wrote something of, of this. God, I'm really, there's a lot going on right now, a lot of really amazing things. I don't sense that I can be the kind of parent who can do recess duty once a week, and you really don't want me telling carpools where to go. I, I don't want to do those things, but I want to participate in this school because we know you've called us here. So would you make it really easy for me to know where I'm supposed to be? Now, about a week later, I got a voicemail and an email from our son's teacher. And I was worried that it was about him. I thought he was in trouble for evangelizing the whole school. Um, that's how we roll. No, not really. Um, I, I did think it was about Henry. So I called her back, and she asked if I was going to bring him on Friday, and I said, I can, and we'll, we'll talk then. Didn't know anything about what was going on. She didn't give me any clues. So as I came into the classroom, to my surprise, she was, she, was, she was prepared. She said, well, you're going to learn one of my secrets, but I do a little research on families, and I've watched many of your sermons, and it seems to me that your passion, one of the things that you love is when kids and parents and kids and grandparents, when the generations come together. I mean, she nailed me. It was great. I was like, yes, ma'am, whatever you need, ma'am. Let's... Yes, ma'am, that's my passion. Um, and she goes, great. And then she went on to tell me about this opportunity at the school where they needed two parents to commit to something that honestly is a pretty heavy commitment. But as I was listening to her, it was just so clear 
That the commitment and the hours, we could figure that out and work that out because I pray, God, show me what you're doing here. And, and show me how I can participate in what you're doing so that when the opportunity came, I was just so convinced, and I am so convinced that this is what God wants me to do, that next week from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Saturday, whew, I'll be at training for that. So glad my football game's on Thursday night this week. So, But see, the... When, when we have a different understanding that God is doing something, this wasn't about, am I going to bring Jesus into this situation? No, God's already working there. He's doing something. Now I get to be his agent and join in what he's already doing. It doesn't start with me. It starts with God. And he shared with us this final way that this impacts our faith. into the passage from this morning from Genesis 1:26. Then God said, "Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground." Now, what does that mean about who we are, um, what we're made for, and community? So, the first thing that's written there is "Let us make which wouldn't just pop off the page unless you've read all of Genesis 1. Because in Genesis 1, there's a pattern, right? It says, and God said, and he usually says, let there be, or let the, the waters team, or let the land produce. And it was so. It, it happened. God spoke it, and then it happened. And God said, it's good. And then there's evening, and there's morning, and the first day. And when we read through Genesis 1, we, we read a rhythm and a cadence and a pattern. So there's the first day and the second day and the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day. But then something changes on the sixth day. And we see that God actually speaks to himself. Instead of the impersonal, let there be, God says, let us make. And we see that he's doing something different here with this sixth day, on this sixth moment of creation. God is putting more of himself into the equation. He's putting more of himself into the process, and he just keeps going. He says, let us make mankind in our image. He laid the groundwork that something different is happening here. But then he really goes for it. He says, we're going to make mankind in our image. Now, we could talk for 10 weeks about what that means. But in light of what we've been learning this morning, the most fundamental thing about God in himself is that he is love. God is love. God most fundamentally in himself is love. And so we, as image bearers, must be a people whose most distinctive characteristic is love. If God is love and we're made in his image, that means that we have to be about love. And not a flippant, impersonal, abstract, Facebook, Instagram, love ya kind of love. But a real, messy, nitty-gritty, getting our hands dirty, let me come over and help you clean up your lawn kind of love, the kind of love that cannot be helped but to be acted upon. God could not help but to send his son into our world. That's the kind of love that we are called to be. It's the kind of love that's not always easy and it's not always pretty, but it's good and it's real. And it's who our God is and it's who he's made us to be. In verse 27, we see this even more clearly. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created both male and female together 
to reflect him to the world, to be his image in the world. Now, this happens in marriage, and often that's where we hear this passage, is that in marriage, male and female come together and are image bearers. But I think if, if we stay there, then we're missing the deeper meaning of this text, which is that, you guys, we need each other to reflect God to the world. It is only together, bound in loving community, that we can possibly reflect God. And I would go so far as to say that we cannot be image bearers without being in community because the God that we are trying to reflect is a God who exists in community in three in one. We have to be in community if we are to be the image bearers that God called us to be because the God that we want to reflect exists in community. We need each other on a basic, fundamental level if we want to show the world who this God is that we love. So the question then becomes, what does this kind of a, of a community look like? An image-bearing community. A community that reflects a God who is triune, who is mutually indwelling, who is three in one. What does that look like? It means that we show up. We listen for where God is at work and we join him. We do all the things that Jeff was just talking about with prayer and with worship and with mission, but we do it together. Josh and I are in a small group, and we're learning what it looks like to be missional together, to be um, participating with a God who is on the move. And what we're learning is that it's messy, right? It's messy because there's a lot of listening involved, and there's not a step-by-step process. It's messy. It's also uncomfortable um, because Jesus is going to places that make me uncomfortable sometimes. Jesus is going to places and to people who make us uncomfortable. I have been more uncomfortable in the last six months of being in this small group than ever before in my Christian life because God is asking me to go to places that are hard. And sometimes I have said no. But when I've said no, I have missed out on the opportunity to join Jesus in what he's doing. When I have said yes, I have learned that this is the life that I was made for. Being image bearers means that we join with others in the divine dance and we let God take us wherever he wants us to go. So it reframes our prayer life, our understanding of worship, our understanding of mission, and our understanding of community. And we wanted to give a direct application today. And, and so this is something that is not separate from the message. This is part of our message. Because a few times a year, we partner um, and we are mutually indwelled with the Lake Avenue Community Foundation. I'm going to ask Nancy Stiles, the executive director, to come up. This is a relationship. This is a way that Lake Avenue Church lives out what God is doing among us in this particular neighborhood and in this particular community. And, and, and so what we're going to do for a moment is just listen we're going to listen to what God is doing. And then there's going to be an opportunity to participate in a variety of ways. But one of the ways that we participate is just a few times a year. We have an offering. And we'll do that today. But see this more as a response to what God is doing, with the dance that is going on in the lives of our kids and our students in this neighborhood. Nance, can you share with us what God's doing? Thanks, Jeff. And I love that we're talking about this today. I love that we're talking about how God is at move in our community and how we can join in the work that he's doing. I've gotten to share with you this summer a little bit about the amazing summer we've had with our students. 
Uh, if you were here in July, I talked about summer skills that we've held for the fourth year here on the Lake Avenue Church campus, which is a credit reclamation program and life skills classes for PUSD rising ninth and 10th graders. We've now helped over 400 students reclaim credits and get back on track for where they're supposed to be. I also told you about our 10-day adventure road trip to New Mexico and the Grand Canyon, where kids were really able to see this image of God and his creation and experience him in a new way. And lots of you helped with our elementary students this summer in July over in Maple Street Building, helped read with them and do math with them and did enrichment classes to give them uh, a, a boost as they start the school year. And in a few moments, you're going to get to see footage from our last trip of the summer, our backpacking trip. It was an amazing time of being out in God's creation, away from the noise, getting to truly experience God. Well, let me tell you what's happening right now, now that we're into fall. This week, our STARS After School programs got launched, got started for the school year. And I'm happy to tell you that we have 50% more students enrolled in our STARS programs this year than we did last school year. And that's for a couple of reasons. Um, as you may know, we've, we've held our STARS elementary program over in Villa 500, three blocks west of here, 500 East Villa. We've been holding our STARS after school program there for 18 years. And we have 50 students enrolled. And for the last couple of years, we've been filled to capacity there with a wait list of kids that want to come and, and be part of our after school program. Um, and it was great to see the kids on Monday. They were so excited to be back for fall and see their tutors. So this year, we are launching a new elementary program site in addition to our Villa 500 site up on Washington Boulevard. And we're going to serve 25 more students there to start with room for growth there as well. Well, our middle school and high school students are also back this week to STARS. Um, and we're doing something new there as well. We've been able to divide the program time so that the middle schoolers come in the afternoon hours when we were always running STARS before, and our high schoolers come later in the evening. And this is important for a couple of reasons. If you know middle, schools and middle schoolers and high schoolers, you'll know that those age groups have unique needs. And this way, we're able to focus on the unique needs um, when we have those students with us on campus. And also, specifically for our high school students, that means college readiness. For many of the last years, um, our focus, when we first started with our high schoolers, our focus was to get them to high school graduation. I'm happy to tell you that we're at almost 100% graduation rate for our high school students. Yeah. Praise God. So as we think in new ways about how we make sure that kids are equipped for college, now I'm a former math teacher, so I think in equations, uh, we have the equation that literacy plus character plus support equals college. And that support looks like friends and family, uh, it looks like the mentors and tutors that share life with our students. And it looks like Bible study, where we're sharing these things that Annie and Jeff were talking about with our students, of who they're created to be and who the God is that loves them with this messy love that's real. So we're inviting students to enter into that divine dance in our times together with them. So here's where you come in. Maybe you want to join in um, and be part of that, the, the work that's happening in our community. If you want to look at the stories at Lake on the back of your worship folder, it can tell you how, tells you the story of our volunteer coordinator, how she became a tutor. Um, and you can, you can uh, contact her um, and get signed up if you'd like to share life with our students as a mentor or tutor. But also, uh, I want to share with you our financial need. We run a budget of just over a million dollars. We have 19 staff members 
In fact, I want to say this too. Six of those 19 are former students of ours that now work for us and are giving back into their own community. Yeah, amen. So of that million-dollar budget, about 50% of that is raised by generous individual gifts from, from donors like you. And I know so many of you have partnered with us faithfully over the years. We have a unique opportunity right now, and that's this. Our fiscal year ends September 30th, and we have a donor that will match dollar for dollar anything given up till, December, up till September 30th, up to $25,000. So that means any gift that you give today will be doubled and double the impact. So I pray that you'll give generously. Um, and if you would like to give via check, checks should be made out to Lake Avenue Community Foundation or LACF. Add the F after you write LAC. And if you're not prepared to give a gift today and you'd still like to participate in this match campaign, you can also go to our website and give online, uh, or you can drop by our office um, sometime between now and September 30th. So I'll ask the ushers to come forward, and we're going to close our service um, with this giving. We've, we still have a benediction, so don't go anywhere. But what an opportunity for us to, to, to join in what, what God is doing not just in the lives of these students, but with this donor. We have an opportunity to double the impact this morning, and let's be as generous as we can. Some of us, that means a dollar. Praise God. Praise God. Today it's $2. Some of us, it can be hundreds of dollars. Whatever you can do, please give as generously as you can so that the work, the dance that God is doing already in our neighborhood can continue to happen. Join me in prayer. God, thank you for the opportunity just to be alive today to be awake and to know you, to come to this place in such freedom, to sing songs, to open up your word, to learn. And now, God, this opportunity to respond. God, I would pray that this would be a generous offering from this congregation. And, God, that you would use this offering to do your work in the lives of those that live in our immediate neighborhood, that they would graduate high school but God, that they would know you and follow you and serve you for their whole life. Move among us, God, now. Help us respond to the dance that's happening. Amen.